And because you're a person of color, you experience things differently in the world. And as a result of experiencing things differently in the world, and the world reacting to you differently than like your majority peers, you can drive innovation, you can drive a new way of thinking about a problem, and you can bring those experiences that you have into an organization where maybe they all think alike. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today's guest is Porter Broswell, who is the CEO and co-founder of Jopwell a technology platform that helps black, Latino, and Native American students and professionals unlock opportunities for career advancement. Jopwell has formed more than 100 company partnerships with America's leading brands and facilitated tens of thousands of connections between its community and customers. Jopwell's partnerships span industries including finance, technology, healthcare, sports, and publishing, amongst others with notable partners such as Airbnb, BlackRock, Pinterest, the NBA, Spotify, and many, many more. Before starting Jopwell, Porter spent a number of years working in investment banking, which is where he saw an underrepresentation of people who looked like him, which spurred him and his co-founder to start Jopwell. On this episode, we talk funding, race, and everything in between. Before we get into today's show, I just want to let you know that you can now listen to Startup Hand-Me-Downs on Spotify and on Google's podcasts. So tell a friend to tell a friend so they can start following us and start learning from some of the greatest minds in startups. So Porter, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. My, 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 my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So Porter, when you are um, out and about at a networking event, how do you introduce yourself? question uh i introduced myself as Porter bradwell just like that and then i and then i asked you know who they are and start a conversation and kind of see where where that conversation takes us sure yeah nice and concise so you don't you don't lead with i i do this i do that but yeah no i get it uh you know i, I would say if i'm you know if if the question is when you when you um if it's at a networking event, then then uh, then I say I, I started a tech company that focuses on diversity recruitment, and uh, then I ask the person kind of what they do, and, uh, and and go from there. Cool. I think that makes sense. That makes sense. You know, don't always lead with what you do. Um, okay. Cool. So before we talk about Jobwell and kind of like the great work you guys are doing over in New York and across um, the states. Walk me through like the early days of Porter. Like, what were you doing before Jobwell? Because you initially were you come from a banking background, right? Yeah. So let's see. So my 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 backstory is that uh, I grew up in New Jersey, and I grew up in a type of household where to be successful, and I put air quotes around that. You know, you have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer, you can go into finance, and that's pretty much it. And my dad originally is from the Bronx, and he was the first person in his family to go to college. And um, 
And, you know, very much with like that mindset of like, you have to take the family forward. Like these are your industries that you can kind of focus on. Mm. And so when I was in high school, uh, I went to a prep school in New Jersey and Morgan Stanley was offering a diversity internship program for high school students. And I, and I knew that Morgan Stanley was in this industry called finance and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, you, you should apply for it. And I got lucky, got the internship and started working there my junior and senior summers in high school and um, went on to went on to Yale and played basketball there. And instead of playing basketball in the summers, I continued in a really uh, entry level pipeline and focusing on diversity recruiting for finance. And I spent three summers interning at Goldman Sachs, buying and selling currencies. Mm. And, uh, and so I started my career there. I was there for th- three years. So for me, my, my backstory and kind of, you know, who I am, I've always been an athlete playing sports my entire life has always been a really critical part of who I am. And it's still you know, what I identify as, as being an athlete, but more so now in the lens of having a very athletic mentality, um, and understanding the value that those athletic traits kind of bring to the table where it's, you know, communication style and hard work and discipline, being able to multitask, thinking about and putting the team first, all those skill sets that I've learned in sports growing up directly translate into my role as a CEO. So that's a little bit more about me. No, that's great. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, talk about a bit of pressure from your dad saying you have to take the family forward. <laughs> that is, uh, did, was that kind of like, in, was that heavy to like, have that burden in the early days or was it like he didn't mean it as like you have to do this well it it wasn't so much of like the weight of the world is on your shoulders it was that coming from his background and and my dad was a lawyer and then and eventually became a state judge you know i grew up in a middle class background Mm. and for the way i grew up it was very much so you know you guys my sister uh, and myself, we're, we're, we're going to get opportunities that my mom and dad didn't have growing up. Yeah. And as a result, with those opportunities comes responsibility. Yeah. And it's your job as kids to take the education that we can provide for you. And again, I was fortunate to, to go to uh, a prep school for high school and, and to go to Yale for college. You know, like with that type of educational background, I had a unique opportunity with responsibility to do something. And so it wasn't so much that I felt a burden growing up that I had to kind of move the family forward. I felt more of a responsibility because I had access to things that my parents didn't have access to. Yeah. And so, you know, that wasn't, my sister and I both, both fully understood that embraced it. And, you know, both of us are athletes and my sister played golf in college. Wow. Uh, she had a scholarship to, to Rutgers for, for playing golf and she was the captain of the, of the girls golf team there so we grew up with that athletic mindset yeah. of wanting to compete and get the most out of ourselves and so that was kind of the upbringing that I had no that's incredible um, and it makes a lot of sense and it, and, and it shows just what happens when you know founders of um, you know a different pedigree kind of go down that route because you still even though you had the middle class background and you had the, you know everything you kind of needed growing up you still have this inherent desire to want to do something for the community um which is awesome oh, so so then walk me through i guess where the idea for job well came from and how you started 
Yeah, so, you know, as mentioned, I was always a product of diverse recruiting efforts and, and initiatives. And that was always my way in the door. And, and, and I knew through my experiences how fortunate I was to have those opportunities to kind of get my foot in the door. And it really bothered me that I felt like I was lucky to get my foot in the door. Mm. And despite the best intentions of companies across the country, valuing and understanding what Debra bring to their workforce and how it leads to bottom line success, which has been proven time and time again, that despite all, all that, you still felt, if you're from our community, somewhat lucky to get your foot in the door. And so looking at the national landscape of what was occurring, being a product of it and having this intimate knowledge and passion um, for this space, I thought that there could be a better way. Mm. And I knew that through technology, things can be done at scale. And so when I looked at this problem that I was a product of, that I was passionate about solving, I really understood that it required a tech solution to address this problem, this challenge. Right. And so it all kind of came together. I never set out to be an entrepreneur. It's nothing that I grew up wanting to be. In fact, when I told my parents that I was going to start a company, they said that's a terrible idea. <laughs> uh, there's something inside of everybody that at some point in time, your body pushes you to do something. And when I looked at my life and my experiences, it all led to Jockwell. And so, you know, Jockwell is a career advancement platform for black, Latino, Hispanic, and Native American students and professionals. And through our platform, we expose our community to job opportunities. We give them an inside look at what it looks like to work at the companies that work with us. And we have a content platform called The Well, where we help, where we try to do mentoring at scale. And all of those components are things I wish I had. Uh, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And um, yeah, so I, I noticed that Jobwell, there, there are ultimately, like you said, there's three pillars. There's the recruitment side, there's kind of like the platform side, and then there's the content side. Was that always the idea from day one, or did this kind of morph over time? Uh, it was always planned to evolve. But day one, we were job platform. Users came on to get jobs. Companies came on to directly recruit users. And the reason why we called the company Jobwell and J-O-P-W-E-L-L, we made up a word. We wanted to grow into a word. We didn't want to be pinned down to a definition. And we wanted that flexibility to create our own identity. And so we knew that jobs was going to be our first act, if you will. But we knew to really address the pain points that lead to a lack of diversity in the workforce. It has to be more, it had to be a more holistic view. Mm. And so, you know, right now we're, we're in the uh, second inning of a nine inning baseball game here where there's a lot that we want to achieve, but it's going to take time. And we are definitely in this for the long haul. And so um, while we started with jobs, that will always now become just one component of a variety of different things that we offer. Mm. No, that makes a lot of sense. So how did you guys start? I mean, like you said, you're not technical. Um, I don't, your co-founder, Ryan, from what I could see, he's not technical either. So how did you guys actually start? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Ryan is, is not technical as well. And so all we could do, you know, given my, our, both of our, both, our finance background, we were great at making pitch decks. And so we basically <laughs> made presentations. 
show them to companies as to this is what we're going to build. Is this interesting? Do you want to be a customer? They said yes. Once we had a couple of really awesome names that were like, yeah, if you build that, we'll, we'll be a customer. We were able to get uh, a round of funding together based on those promises, basically, which then led to us getting the capital to go out and hire a small team. First, uh, a first hire was a, was a technical person. So that helped us. Um, so how we started was we didn't focus on what we couldn't do. We focused on what we could do. And that us was making presentations. Wow. That is, I mean, you make it sound so easy. Um, that is a really good story. <laughs> so you actually managed to go to these companies. So you were getting meetings off the back of, look, hey, we're, we're these guys and we're going to help you with your recruitment, like diverse hires. Can you meet with us so we can show you what we are going to do? Now, it wasn't just like cold outreach. We, we relied heavily on the network. I mean, you know, growing up, we're all told, build your network. Mm. Um, you, started out this, you started out this interview saying, if you're at a networking event, what do you do? So, like, that concept of networking, we're always told from an early age that's so important. Yeah. And really, for the first time, we called upon that network. And the network was there. And they took the calls. They took the meetings. They bought into the concept. They were early adopters. They were early champions. They invested really in Ryan and me because there was nothing else to really invest in. They invested in our story and, um, and that helps. Yeah. And so with these, I guess, pre-orders, so to speak, were they, were they signing anything or was it just kind of like a promise? Like what were you taking to these um, meetings with investors once you had kind of these promises, so to speak, were they like signed commitments? Was it like, you know, half of the money up front? Like how did it work? Yeah, they were they were letters they were letters of intent, right. and it was like a simple one page or two page agreement that said, "When you build this, we will be a partner." And 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 it's basically nothing more than a promise. It's not it's not like they're not legally bound, but it does show if they're going to sign this agreement that they're taking it seriously. Mm. And so we balanced that, and we didn't have money to go get lawyers to make real contracts too. So. So this is the best we could do. <laughs> wow. Um, what were some of the challenges in the beginning? Um, I think, the, honestly, the, the, the biggest challenge that we faced uh, was probably that our friends thought we were crazy and that we left a really, you know, lucrative opportunity that had a lot of upside. And we left to build this thing that nobody really, really understood. Mm. Uh, you know, when people told us, that they don't understand and they really question why we were doing this. It's, a, it's just a really isolating feeling. Mm. And so it's definitely, a, that was definitely the biggest challenge that we had to overcome. It was more of like a mental thing of like, are we doing the right thing? And uh, that was by far the biggest challenge. a lot of sense and um i guess you're always going to get the the naysayers in the early days and people who are not going to understand what you're doing so totally totally get that and so so you've got these pre-orders you've got these letters of intent um so you guys go out and you're raising a million dollars right uh our first round we did 
we did 500. And then we did another 500,000 on top of that for our, for our angel round. Right. So our angel round was a million dollars in total. Okay. Which is a very solid, <laughs> solid first attempt. <laughs> um, was it, was the, um, I guess when you went out to raise that money, was it quite, the people you were pitching to, did it make a lot of sense to them? Like were these people, were these sophisticated investors, were there's just family and friends who, who trusted you guys? Like what was the strategy around that? So we got incredibly fortunate in that we shared our story really selectively to a couple of individuals. And one of those individuals had a large network. And by us selling into that individual, he then went and sold to his network. And it, and really in a matter of, you know, probably a month, our first month of giving this a go, we were able to raise the capital. And so, again, like so much of any founder story where the business is doing well, it's luck and timing. Yeah. Uh, now, now you have to like do the things that lead up to good luck. Like luck doesn't come out of anywhere, yeah. uh, just out of no, out of nowhere. You, you have to put yourself in the right places and meet the right people and be very clear about what you're trying to achieve. Find people that are interested in investing in you. And we were fortunate that again, when we called upon the network, they were there, and this one individual took it upon himself to go out and show his friends and family this awesome opportunity. And so now we had people working for us wow. to kind of close this round. And, and again, just very, very fortunate. That's a, that's pretty incredible. Um, you guys, yeah, you definitely got lucky, but it sounds like you kind of created, very, created you know, that luck. Totally, totally recognize, totally recognize how like atypical our funding history has been, you know, following that round of funding, we went into Y Combinator, which is an amazing accelerator program. And then we were able to raise about three and a half million for our seed round. And it was, it's this moment in time where like you're going to raise capital or you're not. And so if you're on the verge, if you're, if you're one of the better companies out of a batch, there's a lot of momentum and, and you're making progress and a lot of, you know, VCs are interested in, like, it all happens really quickly. Yeah. So that worked worked out really well and then when we did our series a we were you know it's just it's just building a good business like funding is an outcome of having a strong business and so for us we've only ever focused on building a good business we've never focused on fundraising and as a result fundraising has always been a relatively easy thing for us because we're not pitching you know this pie in the sky thing we're talking about the fundamentals of our company yeah and it's always better to raise money when you don't need capital. And because we're very financially sound when it comes to running our company, we're never in a position where we need money. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's when money comes. And so very fortunate, but also very intentional about our path. Yeah, that's good. And like, how have you guys gone about, I know you said in the early days, you kind of use your network in order to acquire, um, I guess, potential customers. But now you guys have, I guess, over like, you signed up over 100 companies, which is amazing. How have you guys gone about acquiring users? Because ultimately, this is a marketplace, right? Candidates meet employees. So how have you gone about acquiring those, yeah. um, I guess, the employers? And how have you gone about um, getting your word out to candidates as well? Yeah, for companies, we're, we're very we're, we're very selective in, in the companies we work with. 
we want to work with companies that understand the value of a diverse workforce. We want to work with companies that understand that this is a long-term strategy, that it's not something that happens overnight. We want to work with companies that understand kind of where they are on their diversity journey. Like if you're a small company, you have, you know, 500 employees, your, your diversity challenges are very different than a fortune 500 company. Yeah. And so companies that understand that and, and they know how Apple can help alleviate some of their pain points, like we take those on. So we're very selective in the companies we work with. And I would say the commonality amongst all of the companies is that they leverage Apple as a tool and a resource to accelerate their diversity efforts. And so those are typically the companies we look for. In terms of the users, it's been really this amazing organic growth. The users have very much embraced that this is a you know a for-us, by-us business. Mm. Um, we're very authentic in how we're servicing our community. We don't take shortcuts. We're not transactional. You know, we're building a community here. So for us, it's really important to offer them more than just jobs which is why we built out the content platform. We host a ton of events and activations. And so the word of Joppel spreads. And when users find success, they tell their friends. Yeah. And so we've been able to kind of really build up our brand on top of these authentic connections and, and really being intentional about how we communicate with our company, with our, with our, with our community. And, and, and they've embraced it. And at the end of the day, we're only as strong as our community. Like we do this for our community. And, you know, Jopla brand has the responsibility, again, to talk about more than just jobs. So I had the unfortunate experience of being called a nigger on the subway two weeks ago. Mm. And somebody just looked at me, looked me dead in my eyes and said that to me. And out of nowhere. And the fact that that happened to me in New York City, um, it happens to everybody all over the place in America. Yeah. And it's not just me. And that's not a unique scenario. And that's something that wasn't the first time that's happened to me. And it won't be the last time. But I spoke about that to the Joppa community. And it was important to share my story because I know my story are other stories. And so, again, we have this responsibility to be more than just a job platform. It's to embrace and engage in, in these conversations. And through those mechanisms – you know, people hear about Joppa and they want to be a part of what we're doing and we want them a part of what we're doing. And we're not trying to be something that we're not. And we're very honest about what we are. And, um, and it, you know, we try to drive as much value as we can to both users and employers. Yeah, no, I remember, I mean, like I said before the call, um, I actually saw that Instagram post when it happened, when the incident on the train happened. And I was like, just full of rage. I mean, that's probably not the right the right way to feel at the time. I mean, what is the right way to feel at the time? But I think no, it made me super angry that you know a guy a guy like you, you know, you know, you're you're fa you're a fairly well put together guy. You don't dress, you know, stereotypical. Not that that should make a difference anyway. And for that to happen to you in like broad daylight on the train is just absolutely appalling, to be honest. And it's, it's sad more than anything. But then it just goes to show, it just goes to show like the need for a company like Jobwell, you know, it just, it just, it, it just really solidifies the problem that you guys are well, trying to you solve. Know what? Well, I, I, as you said, it makes no different how you look or how you dress. What, it, what the, the fact of the matter is I'm a black male in this country. Mm. 
no matter what my background is, no matter how I look, it doesn't matter in this country. And therefore, the world perceives me first and foremost as that, and that's how I view me first and foremost, a black male. And so there are certain things that that occur in this country because you're a black male that others don't have to deal with. Now, that holds true for black females, for let's see, people of color in general, there's a lot of different obstacles that we have to face. And you can't leave that at home. That carries over to the workplace. So that, that's why it's so important to talk about these things because it's not in isolation. Like my story is not unique. It happens to everybody. What's unique about my scenario is that I have a platform that is dropped to speak about it. And that's that's a very empowering thing. Yeah, for sure. I wanna I wanna switch gears a little bit now and talk a little bit more about I guess um the kind of like the process for people of color. And I guess for Jockwell as well, does it make does it make the process easier when you're placing a candidate with um, a HR representative or a recruitment manager who is a person of color as well? Have you found that to be kind of like beneficial in any way? Um, no, I would say you know uh, I wouldn't say that there's an advantage or a disadvantage, um, but from a high level overview. No, I, I think people who, again, just understand the value that a more diverse workforce, you know, of what that can lead to, they buy into that concept and they focus on bottom line success. And so whether it doesn't matter your background, your ethnicity, if you're an HR professional, if you care about that, you're going to be a champion of job well. Yeah. And what are some of the, I guess, the general, if you can tips that you have for people of color applying for roles and going for interviews um, and trying to get that first job in a smaller tech company or a fortune 500 company what like what could they do yeah so that's a that's a great question i'm actually writing a book about this that's coming out uh in january of 2019 that discusses a lot of this and really i would say the most important thing that a person of color should think about which is Similar to anybody, regardless of the color of your skin, you have to understand that you have a very unique story Mm. to share. And your story is compelling. And because you're a person of color, you experience things differently in the world. And as a result of experiencing things differently in the world and the world and the world reacting to you differently than like your majority peers, you can drive innovation. You can drive a new way of thinking about a problem and you can bring those experiences that you have into an organization where maybe they all think alike. You can have that different perspective. And how do you craft that into your narrative on your resume of who you are? How do you bring your resume to life? And you can bring your resume to life by understanding your story and why your resume is your resume and provide context, context to that. And it's also incredibly important to have people internally fight for you. Like you're going to need people in your corner to vouch for you. And so the earlier you can identify those mentors or those champions for your career, and you can introduce them in a variety of different ways within your interview process as references, 
you need to you need to have those people ready to go. Yeah. And so finding those different things and being crystal clear on why this particular role that you're interviewing for, you're perfectly fit and situated for that. And you have to be tight on that. Those are the best ways to give your chance, give yourself your best chance of finding success. And I guess why historically, why do you think it's been like difficult for people of color? And why do you think you know hiring managers and organizations have struggled so much? You know, because is it that people of color are not sharing their story as much, and so they only get judged on the merits, or is it that companies just don't care enough? No, so. I don't think it's either of them. I think the reason why companies historically have had a difficulty when it comes to diversity recruitment, one, is that they rely heavily on their internal referrals. And generally, the makeup of these companies are majority Caucasian. And so you're bringing in referrals from people who are generally referring to Caucasian individuals. And in many instances, that's white males. And so it constantly breeds this non-diverse candidate pool. So that's the first thing. Second thing is that historically, going back to my story, people of color in this country are, are, are pointed to be a doctor, be a lawyer, go to finance, be a consultant if you want to be successful. Mm. Technology, uh, not really sure what that is. And if you look at the numbers, it's 2% African-American working in tech or 3% Hispanic or Latino. And so like the numbers aren't there. We don't have a large community within that industry. So we shy away from that. And then these companies have a really difficult time in terms of getting their brand in front of this audience. And they have a really difficult time communicating that there are so many roles and opportunities, both from an engineering perspective and from a non-engineering perspective that are available within their organization. And they don't know how to communicate that. So there are a lot of different challenges that are at play and, and, and it, and, they are, they are challenges. Like, it is difficult. And that's why job will exist to be in the middle to facilitate all of this. Yeah. So do you guys take on advisory roles as well and actually advise companies as well as help them with their recruitment? Um, part of our relationship with organizations is that we provide account management services. And through account management services, share insights and best practices on how to drive the most diversity for your particular organization. Got it. Cool. I want to work towards wrapping up now and just ask you a few like fireside questions before I let you go. So the first question is, what's your, what's your, or who's your biggest inspiration? My biggest inspiration, I would say is my family. And they are my biggest inspiration because everything I do in this world, I want to, I want them to be proud of me. And so when I think about what do I want to achieve and why do I want to achieve it? It's always to help to help the family. That's good. Favorite podcast? Oh, I have to go with Y Combinator. Oh, harsh. Um, favorite book? Favorite book? Um, a lot of favorite books. I would say the four hour work week was the first time that I understood that there is a whole other, um, there are a lot of different ways to to be financially secure, and that opened my eyes when I first read that. Probably when I just graduated from college, yeah. that uh, that made a lasting impact on me. Yeah. Favorite blog. Favorite blog. Um. Got. Paul Graham, or I have to go with Tim Ferriss. 
Okay. Favorite Instagram account? Uh, favorite Instagram account? I don't. It's a good one. Um, let's go with let's go with Jeremy Lin. Okay. Uh, what's one thing you wish you could do that you currently can't do? Uh, travel the world every day. Uh, you could do that if you wanted. <laughs> I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm busy at building top walls. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't take off. Uh, one piece of advice you would give to your 21-year-old self? Enjoy the process. Mm. If you had $100 only in your favorite city, what do you spend it on? Okay. What's the one thing that startups need to ignore in the early days? The haters. <laughs> That's good. And finally, what is the vision for Jumpwell? Yep. It's, our vision is to be a holistic diversity solution for the organizations that we work with. Awesome. Porter, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you if they want to get in contact? Yeah, so people can find me on primarily on Instagram. It's uh, at Porter Braswell or LinkedIn. Um, also at Porter Braswell. Those are my two uh, social media kind of outlets. Awesome. Thank you so much, Porter. It was great having you on and, um, you know, carry awesome. on the amazing work right. you guys are doing. Really appreciate it. Great to connect. Just wanted to say another huge thank you to Porter for coming on the show. You guys are doing some amazing and meaningful work. We're so excited to see what you have next for us. As always guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please subscribe on the Apple Podcasting app or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. As I said at the top of the show, you can now listen to us on Spotify and on Google's podcasting app. So there's really no excuse. Until next time, guys, keep growing them.